Good evening to all of you dear people. It's so good to be here this evening. I've been looking forward to this week, praying that God would bless us and prepare us for a week of revivals. What are revivals anyway? We, you know, we talk about revivals. Our churches have revivals and that song just said that there will be seasons of refreshing when we let Christ have his way. <laughs> that tells us a little bit about what revival is all about. It's letting Christ have his way. You see, Jesus Christ would like to do a work in this church this week. And I believe that we would all say that we want to be a part of a church that is revived. We want to be a part of a church that is on fire for the Lord, a church that's evangelistic, a church that's pure and holy and trustworthy. Yeah, sign me up. I want to be a part of a church like that. We can all say that, I believe. But dear people, it starts with you. It starts with me. It starts one person at a time. That's how revival happens in a church. And so if this church is to be revived this week, then you need to let Christ have his way in your life. And as you allow Christ to have his way, not only will you personally be refreshed, but this congregation will be refreshed and made more alive. Revival is about bringing life. Bringing life. Restoring life. Well, I'll just give a, a short introduction, and then we'll move into the meat of the evening. But uh, yes, I am Josh Good. I come from the South Boston, Virginia area, about three hours south of here, and I serve as a, a pastor there at the Ebenezer Mennonite Church. I have a dear wife, Kimberly, and we have six children, four boys and two girls. And uh, our oldest is 18, and our youngest is eight, so that's kind of our spread and looking forward to having them join me for the weekend. They hope to come up uh, Friday afternoon or evening and, and be around for the weekend. So I always look forward to that part of the week as well. I uh, help manage and part own our bakery business. We do a lot of baking. Uh, we have a deli, sell some bulk foods. And, and I, I love that. I've grown up in the business. My folks started it when I was just uh, maybe 12 years old. So I've grown up uh, working with with other people. I've grown up uh, re relating to the public on a daily basis, and I love that. Uh, there's, there's something very beautiful about working day in and day out with the public. You create a lot of relationships, which gives you opportunity to then speak about spiritual matters, and uh, even maybe some Bible studies along the way, and I found that kind of a business to be a, a great means of evangelism. And so, uh, you know, South Boston is just a small town. Uh, but I recently was telling a fellow that <laughs> you don't have to go anywhere to be a missionary, okay? <laughs> I, I could work full-time just being a missionary in South Boston, the little town of South Boston. There's a lot of needs. And I believe that you have that heart as well. In a city as big as Harrisonburg, there should be no shortage of people that need Jesus. And may you be that person that helps them find Jesus. When we think about revival, when we think about growing in Christ-likeness, where should we start? What comes to your mind? 
there's a lot of things that, that we could think about. And there's a lot of places in Scripture we could go. But tonight I would like for us to consider what is one of the most repeated and yet most unpopular messages in the whole Bible. And I ask you, if Jesus would come to American churches today, and if He would preach in the pulpits of American churches today, what would He preach? What would be the first thing He would say? I believe He would call men and women to repentance. Repent! I don't know how it is for you, but sometimes when I hear that word or see that word in Scripture, I recoil a little bit. <laughs> My human nature wants to view that as a bad word. You know, our human nature doesn't like to surrender. We don't like to submit. We like to do it our own way. And so when the Scripture calls us to repent, that means that we are being called to go another way. That means we are being called to maybe give something up. That means we are being called to change something. That means we are being called to do something that is uncomfortable. Maybe we haven't done it before. And our flesh recoils. I want to tell you, dear people, tonight that repentance is not a bad word. <laughs> repentance is a beautiful word. It's a powerful word. It's a life-giving word. And as we go through this evening, I want you to grasp the fact that repentance is full of blessing. In fact, the very last word, uh, the very last verse of Acts chapter 3, the Apostle Peter is preaching, and he says, in essence, that God sent His Son Jesus to bless you. By what? By turning you away from your iniquities. Now, does that sound like a blessing to you? Dear people, Peter was saying that, in a sense, God sent His Son Jesus to bless you by calling you to repentance. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. Truly, the work of repentance is a gift of God. It's God's mercy and grace on display. Were it not for the, for the means of repentance, dear people, we would be doomed. Death would be our end. There would be no possibility of, of coming together in restoring that relationship with Jesus Christ. I find it interesting that repentance is the theme of numerous first sermons in the Bible. And I want to briefly look at that. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. Here we have John the Baptist. He's just beginning his work of preaching the gospel. Preparing the way for Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The very first words that we have recorded. Repent ye. The first sermon of John the Baptist. And then he goes on to call people 
in verse 8, to bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. Or he says that your repentance will be proven by a changed lifestyle. You say you've repented. You say you're a new creature in Christ. Let me see it. Let me see it. No, actually, it will be seen. Okay? It will be seen. Then we move on to Jesus. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 and verses 14 and 15. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. I want you to notice that those two things are inseparable. Repent and believe the gospel. What does the gospel say? The gospel says that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. That's what the gospel says. Repent and believe the gospel. In order to experience the work of the gospel, in order to to be able to enjoy and live out the good news of the gospel, there must be repentance. You see, it is our sin that separates us from a holy God. And you have to come to grips with the fact that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. It's something that you cannot do on your own, but you need the help of another, capital A. Now let's move on to the disciples in Mark chapter 6. Did you know that the disciples were preachers? Did you know that the disciples went out preaching? They sure did. Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark, Mark, uh, chapter 6 and verse 7. And he, Jesus, called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits. Verse 12. And they went out and preached that men should repent. That was the theme of their sermon. They went out and preached that men should repent. And let's move on to Peter. We're talking about repentance. Acts chapter 2. We're talking about repentance being the theme of numerous first sermons in the Bible. And dear people, I find this foundational. I find this to be significant. This is not just a coincidence. Oh, they had to say something. What should they say? No, no. This is foundational. Acts chapter 2. And here we have uh, Peter. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's preaching a powerful sermon. And let us note the response. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repent and be baptized every one of you, he says. Now you may say, well, that wasn't so much the theme of the sermon, but I'm telling you, dear people, It was the purpose. It was the purpose of that first sermon. 
to bring people to repentance, to help them to grasp the fact that they were guilty and stood in need of a Savior, of believing on Jesus Christ. One more yet, and this is the Apostle Paul. Uh, turn to Acts 26. Acts 26, and he's standing here in front of uh, King Agrippa, sharing his testimony of what God did for him, God did in him, uh, on the road to Damascus. He's recounting that story of how he met Jesus, and how Jesus spoke to him, and how he then spoke to Jesus. There was a conversation there. Verse 19 of Acts 26, he says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus, and at Jerusalem, and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, what? That they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. That sounds like John the Baptist, does it not? Do works meet for repentance. But do you notice there, he says, repent and turn. We're going to look at that a little bit later. Turning is a very important part of true repentance. That was his first sermon, that they should repent and turn to God and then live lives that show that they have truly repented and turned from their sinful ways. You see, it's obvious that these men and countless others understood repentance to be integral to a vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It was absolutely foundational. You know, the Christian faith is built on the foundation of repentance. And I mean that it must be the starting point. See, it is impossible to have a relationship with the loving Heavenly Father without repenting of your sin. It's impossible. That must come first. I say it is the starting point in our Christian faith. And so then moving from there, a person's relationship with God will be only as authentic as their repentance is. You see, when you see a person that is not living a Christ-filled life, when you see a person that is not walking in the steps of Jesus, when you see a person, say a professing believer, that is not living in obedience to the Word, it calls their repentance into question. Have they truly repented? Have they turned? I'm not seeing a change in their ways. Is there truly a saving there? You begin to wonder. You begin to question the authenticity of that salvation experience. And rightly so. I've chosen this title for the message, Repent and Live. Repent and live. And that comes from Ezekiel chapter 18. We'll turn to that in a few minutes. But, but there, Ezekiel is writing, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. But then he goes on to say, and this is God speaking, that I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. Therefore, repent and live. Repent and live. That is the cry of God to us tonight. 
Once again, repentance is not a bad word. Repentance is a beautiful, life-giving word. And so if repentance is so foundational to the Christian life, then it is vitally important that we all have a good understanding of, of what it is. I mean, if that's where it starts, if everything hinges on repentance, we better know what it means, okay? I mean, from young, you fellows on the front bench, to the oldest ones here, we need to know what repentance really is. And so tonight, we want to look at that. We want to look at what true repentance is, and we want to look for a few minutes, first of all, what it's not, okay? Uh, because there's people who get those things confused. First of all, true repentance in, in what it's not, <laughs> what it is not. You see, true repentance is not just simply saying, I'm sorry. Some people do that. Some people just simply say, I'm sorry. And they think that everything should be fine because I said I'm sorry, right? <laughs> you know, when little Johnny smacks little Susie, that was not right. What do you tell her? Is that really repentance? <laughs> he said he's sorry, did he? Yeah. But did he truly repent? Uh, probably not. Probably not. Now, by the way, young families, I, I'm not saying that's not a good habit <laughs> to teach your children to, to, to say I'm sorry and I forgive you. But I'm just trying to make a point here. It goes deeper than that. A true repentance is not just simply religious words. It's not just saying a printed prayer or a repeated prayer after someone. Say this prayer. Okay, you said that prayer. Great, thanks. You're ready to go. No? I remember as a youngster going with my family to a Catholic Mass. You might think that's odd for a young Mennonite boy. It was a little bit. But we had, we had good friends. Actually, they sent their children to our Christian day school. We got to know this family very well. They were part of the Catholic Church there in South Boston. They invited us to a special service, and we decided, uh, Dad and Mom decided, that it would be nice for us to go. I mean, we invite them to, to our church all the time, and we decided this would be one, I guess, that we could support them in. So we went, and it was an eye-opening experience for a little Mennonite boy. It really was. I remember being somewhat mesmerized by, by the formality, in fact, even by the beauty of the service. Like, I remember the stained windows. I remember the statutes. I remember uh, the, the words that were spoken, how the, how the priest would speak and the people would respond. And, and there was almost like an awe for me that, that went with that form of service. And yet I remember being a little confused because it seemed like there was, there was much holiness in that service. There seemed to be something authentic there. And yet I mentioned that I've grown up in a bakery business and as I looked around, I remember seeing different of those people that they looked very nice and trim and proper there at that service, but they are also customers at our bakery and uh, they look much different than that when they come into our bakery. And I remember for a little boy, in, in my mind, it didn't seem like things were matching up. Found that a little bit confusing as a little fellow. 
I'm saying that true repentance is not just religious words. It's not just a repeated prayer. True repentance is not just good intentions. People do that. Oh, man, I'm going to try harder next time. I shouldn't have done that. I'll try harder next time. I'm going to try to stop smoking. Or I'm going to try to stop saying those words. I need to work harder at that. True repentance is, is not just empty promises either. There was a lot of those back after the terrorist attacks around 9-11. There was a lot of empty promises. Churches were filling up. People got serious for a little while. And then it dropped off again. Empty promises. True repentance is not just sadness or, or disappointment for being caught or getting found out. You know, maybe you were speeding or maybe you were cheating at school or something. Oh, man, I didn't see that cop. I forgot. Ah, do they actually sit right there? I'm going to have to be more careful the next time I go through there. I slow down at that spot, you know, because I don't want to, you know, get another ticket. Is that true repentance? You see, true repentance hates the sin, not merely the consequences, not merely the penalty. And why does it hate the sin? Because it has discovered and it has felt the true love of God. It has met God. Therefore, it hates the sin. And there's not a desire to see what I can get by with and still be okay. There's been a change of heart. The person is, is changed. They see it differently. True repentance is not just regret or remorse uh, for how something turned out. Maybe like the young fellow, young professing Christian fellow who was in the army. And uh, he really hoped that he would never have to kill anybody. But when things got a little dicey one day and they got stuck, they got trapped, well, he just had to dispatch a couple guys. And he felt really bad about that. I mean, he never intended to do that. He never wanted to. And, and he felt like God would probably understand, uh, you know, because that wasn't his intent. And he really regretted it. Yeah. Is that true repentance? I think of Judas. The Bible talks about Judas, and it actually uses the word repent. It says that when, when he saw that Jesus was condemned, he repented himself. Now I ask you, did he repent? Did Judas actually repent? Uh, someone told me once that he did, because the Bible said he did. <laughs> That's not exactly what that word means there. It means that, that he was seized with remorse. You know, I don't know what Judas was thinking. Maybe he thought that Jesus, being the miracle man that he was, would get out of that. And Judas would still get the money. That's what he wanted, right? Judas gets the money. Jesus goes free. We're good to go. But when he saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. He repented himself. But I say, did he actually repent? No, he didn't, because he went on and hanged himself. Dear people, godly repentance leads to life. 
the godly, I'm sorry, the worldly way of looking at it, the worldly repentance or the worldly sorrow leads to death. And I truly believe that Judas had a choice to make. Well, that's a little snapshot of what true repentance is not. It's not. But what we want to really think about this evening is, what is it? What is true repentance? And and I look at it like this. As I think about it, I think of a baseball diamond. In a baseball diamond, we have four bases, right? First base, second base, third base, and home. And I look at this thing of true repentance like that. There is the first base of acknowledging There is the second base of turning. Then there's the third base of changing. And you run home to the fourth base of saving. Acknowledging, turning, changing, saving. We could say it this way. It is the acts. That's the acronym. It's the acts of repentance. The acts of true repentance. Let's look at that. Acknowledging your condition or acknowledging your need, that's the first base of true repentance. You know, it's astounding how many people never make it to the first base of repentance because they don't think they have anything wrong. They fail to see that they have a need. You know, and to everyone looking on, the need is so obvious. The need is so great. I mean, like we want to say, like, can, don't they understand that? I mean, how in the world? How could they be missing that? And yet they don't see it. I'm reminded of, of in James chapter 1. It's like that person who they, they look at themselves in the mirror of God's Word and they say, there must be something wrong with that mirror. <laughs> you know? Because it's not me. There must be something wrong with the mirror. There's a lot of people like that today. They can't make it to the first base. The first base of repentance. Turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. And we'll start at verse 3. See what the psalmist David had to say about this. Verse 3, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the draught of summer. Selah. In other words, just think about that. Dear people, think about the agonizing weight of unconfessed sin. If you're a human being, you probably have felt that before. The agonizing weight of unconfessed sin. And David writes about it, and then he says, think about that a moment. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, And mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And look at this. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Now think about that. 
Think about that for a moment in contrast to verses 3 and 4. You know the agonizing weight of unconfessed sin. You know how that feels. You know the guilt. But now we have a turn where this person has acknowledged that they have sin in their life. Look what it says. My sin, mine iniquity, my transgressions, my sin. There is an owning up. There is a taking responsibility. This is my fault, okay? I cannot pass the buck. It's not someone else's fault. I take responsibility for the sin of my life. And when he acknowledged that, he said, you forgave all my iniquity. Boy, just think about that. (laughs) Oh, the blessing of repentance. The blessing of repentance. I also have to think about the prodigal son. Maybe it would be better to say the lost son. Uh, Because there in that passage in Luke chapter 15, uh, we have the lost sheep and the lost coin. And then we have the lost son that was found again, praise the Lord. But you know the story, at least to an extent, where this young fellow said, Hey, Father, uh, please give me my portion of the inheritance. And so the father obliged and did that. And not too long later, he took all his stuff and he went out to a faraway country and he lived it up. And he spent all his money on riotous living. Foolishness. And then something happened he wasn't prepared for. He hadn't thought about this. Then there was a famine. Then he needed his money, but he didn't have it. Life is like that, isn't it? And things got so bad He got so desperate that he actually wanted to eat the food that the pigs were eating. That's how bad off he was. Dear people, it was when he was in that state that he saw something for the first time. For the first time, he saw sin for what it really was. And it says at that point, and when he came to himself, When he came to himself. Have you been there? God is calling you to come to yourself. When he came to his senses. When did he come to his senses? When he was at the end of his rope. When he had nothing else left to help himself. He came to his senses and he said, you know what? Back at home. Even the servants. Even the servants have it better Dear people, that's, that's repentance. You have to get to the end of yourself in order to say that. And I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to my dad and say, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I've done. And I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just willing to be a servant here. You'll let me back in. That's true repentance. When we come before God and say, Lord, I'm not worthy to be a child of yours. I'm not worthy to be a son or a daughter. I just want to be a servant. I just want to serve you forever. And you know what Jesus does? He meets us. 
And He embraces us and He kisses us. And He says, stop, stop. There's a party waiting for you. There's a banquet waiting for you. Oh, wow. To be a child of God. But we have to come to ourselves. We have to come to our senses. Let's move on. Let's run to second base now. <laughs> run to second base, and that is turning from your sin. There is first base of acknowledging your need, but then we run to second base, and that is turning from your sin. You know, true repentance is all about turning. In fact, uh, the word turn is the most common wording in the Old Testament when speaking of the act of repentance, to turn. Uh, you are turning from one and you're turning to another. Okay? You're turning away from yourself, from your old sinful, selfish ways of doing it, and you're turning to the Heavenly Father. You're surrendering. You're submitting. That's what turning is all about. It's, it's that attitude of dependence upon Him versus an attitude of independence. Where I can do it my own way. I don't need help. Everyone stand back. There's more than one way to do it and mine is valid. No. There is one way to Jesus. There is one way to heaven. Turning from your sin. You know, we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. We would like to think that we could just choose a couple of those. I'm going to pray. Maybe that's enough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be humble. <laughs> that's enough. No. Humble, pray, seek my face, turn from your wicked ways. That is proof that your repentance has been genuine. That the sin nature has truly been dealt with. That you are tired of fighting. That you are tired of doing it your own way. And you say, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I want to do it your way. And it is made obvious by a turning. Now turn back to, or forward a bit, maybe to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 18. And this is the passage that I referred to earlier. Where I'm drawing the title from, Repent and Live. Repent and Live. Ezekiel 18, verse 27. And we read this. Again, when the wicked man turneth away from his wickedness that he hath committed, and doeth that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive because he considereth. There is that, that step of acknowledgement. He considereth. He comes to his senses. And he turneth away from all his transgressions that he hath committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet, saith the house of Israel, the way of the Lord is not equal or it's not just. And the response is, O house of Israel, are not my ways equal or just? Are not your ways unequal? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, saith the Lord God. 
Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. Turn, repent, and live. It's the call of God to each one of us tonight. Let's now run to the third base of true repentance, and that is changing your ways. Changing your ways, and that was reflected right here in these few verses already. But in, in Acts 3, verse 19, and we're going to look at these in, in just a little, a little bit, but I just want to reference it now. Acts 3, 19 Peter is preaching, and he says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted. Now at face value, we might would think that, well, isn't that just a bit redundant? Isn't that sort of saying the same thing twice? Repent ye therefore, and be converted. It's actually not. Now, they are close relatives, but it's not quite the same thing. To repent is a change of heart, a change of mind. It's an inner change. To be converted is an outer change. It's a change of life. It's a change of behavior. And so true repentance, listen here, true repentance starts from the inside and moves out, not the other way around. Okay? To repent and be converted means that you have decided to follow Jesus. <laughs> there has been a change of heart, a change of mind, and that then is fleshed out in the way you live your life. Ah, it should not be difficult to tell who's a believer. There should be no question when people look at you, when they see your life, when they see the way you act, when they hear the way you talk, when they see how you post on social media. That's a believer. It's obvious. Is it? You say, now, I'll put it this way. I mean, you really have no right to call yourself a child of God when there is known sin in your life and you are not dealing with it. Now, understand me, dear people. I'm not trying to say that one day you're a Christian, next day you're saved. You're not. One day you're a Christian, next day you fall from grace. And back. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there are conditions for being a Christian. <laughs> okay. Jesus said, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but who? But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. There are conditions for being a Christian. And so, true repentance is a change of heart, a change of mind that is then expressed in our behavior, in our lifestyle. In fact, I would say that it is impossible to have an authentic experience of repentance and not see a significant change. In other words, if you have truly surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, if you have truly repented of your sin, then that will be revealed. It'll be known. So, you know, true repentance is to cease from sin. True repentance, therefore, uh, is, a, is proven by that changed way of And it's always a change for the better. That was already said earlier this evening by someone, I forget. But it's always a change for the better 
You see, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, any man be in Christ. He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I say it's a change for the better. And then, you know, we have a new heart. We have new hunger. We have new habits. We have uh, a new home, praise the Lord. And, and going on in that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says also we have a new job. And that job is to be a minister of reconciliation where we now are calling men and women to come to Jesus Christ. You see, it changes everything about us. When we come to Jesus Christ in true repentance, we are not the same. Inside and out, we are new. Let's now run home to the fourth base of true repentance, and that is saving your soul. Saving your soul. Dear people, true repentance leads the sinner to the Savior. I say it leads the sinner to the Savior. The Savior is just waiting, just waiting with his arms open wide, just like that dad was back in Luke chapter 15, waiting for his son, waiting on the porch. When he saw him afar off, he met him. He was waiting. And so is our loving Heavenly Father waiting. I say true repentance leads the sinner to the Savior. I think of the story in Acts chapter 10 and 11. It's the story where Cornelius, that Gentile centurion, and his family came to Jesus Christ. They experienced salvation. No, they weren't Jews. They weren't God's chosen people. And yet, they came to faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter was very instrumental in that. And because he was, he was called into question. And they said, what are you doing fellowshipping with Gentiles? And so then in Acts chapter 11... The Apostle Peter, he, he defends himself, okay? He shares about what happened. He explains his actions. And note the response. After he explained his actions, notice the response of those who were calling him into question. When they heard those things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. There it is. Repentance unto life. Oh, so it's not just for God's chosen people, the Jews, but it's for all men. It's for me. It's for you. Repentance unto life. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 8. Paul is writing here, and he says, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. Now the word here has more of the idea of regretting. He's saying, I wrote you this letter, I was admonishing you, and uh, he said, I don't regret it. However, I, actually, I did regret it for a time, uh, but I don't anymore. <laughs> and then we'll keep reading. Why didn't he regret it anymore? Well, let's see why. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry. And that's what he felt bad about. 
though it were but for a season. And that's what he's happy about, okay? Verse 9, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, because I'm, I'm sorry that I made you feel bad, but, but, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. I want you to notice the direction here. That's, that means everything, okay? We just talked about repentance unto life. Here is a similar direction. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, or not to be regretted of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. And then he says this. This is how we can see what this godly sorrow did in you. For behold this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all these things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Or the Apostle Paul is saying, this is so beautiful. I have seen how you have allowed this admonition to work a spiritual zealousness within you. It's made you be passionate for God. It's turned you around. And for that, even though I was sorry that I made you feel bad, yet for that I am so grateful. I'm so joyful. Because you allowed that admonition to change your life. To bring you more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Repentance to salvation. Repentance unto life. You see, dear people, the work of true repentance, it's really not about us. Now, we're talking a lot tonight about our responsibility. But the work of true repentance is truly the result of God wooing us. Isn't that beautiful? God is wooing us. And that goes back to that verse I shared in Acts chapter 3. We'll get to it again here soon. About how the repentance is a blessing. That God has sent His Son to bless you and leading you to repentance. It's a work that God is doing behind the scenes. God is orchestrating the happenings in your life to draw you to Him. And we sometimes get that wrong. We sometimes think that salvation, repentance, it's about me. It's about me. It's not. It's first of all about God. And I respond to that. And so there at Ebenezer, we sing the song sometimes, I saw up the Lord. And afterward I knew He moved my soul to seek Him seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. That's really where it's at. I thought it was me that was searching for you, God. But when it was all said and done, I realized that, no, you really were, first of all, searching for me. You were seeking me. I was the lost sheep. In fact, Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, it is the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. <laughs> Where would we be without God's goodness, without God's grace? He is the one that is calling men and women to himself. Come to me. 
Come to me. Share my yoke. Enjoy a vibrant relationship with me. Give up your way of doing things. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Dear people, absolutely, comparatively speaking, it is. You take the yoke of Jesus and it is not without its trouble. It's not without its trial. But compared to the yoke of sin and Satan, it is easy, light as a feather. Take it. Try it. You will never regret it. Now, let's end this evening in Acts chapter 3. I'd just like to read these verses to you. Harkening back to these verses that I have already referenced just a very bit earlier. Uh, but Acts chapter 3. And once again, the apostle uh, Peter here is preaching to the people. Uh, the setting here is, is that Peter and John had went to pray, like the song says, and they met a lame man on the way, okay? And uh, he was looking for money, and they said, no, we don't have it, but we have something that's greater than money, and it's the power of God, and all said and done, he was healed, okay? That's a real quick snapshot. And then, and then the people came rushing around and said, wow, like, these are super guys here. I mean, I want some of that. And so, and Peter said, no, 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 it's nothing that we did. What you just saw was the power of God. <laughs> and like Peter was so prone to do, he, he, he used that as a springboard to jump right into calling these people salvation and to showing them their need for Jesus. And so he says, he says in verse 17, And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance, or I know that through ignorance ye did it. That is, you were the ones that denied the Holy One. You were the ones that, that turned Jesus over uh, to be crucified. And you killed Him. You killed the Prince of Life. And, and I know you did it in ignorance. And I say, Peter, couldn't you be a little harder on him than that? I mean, that's mighty kind. Well, bless his heart. He says they did it in ignorance, but that ignorance did not leave him off the hook. Okay, It did not leave him without excuse. And he goes on to say, Verse 18, but those things which God before had shown by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord and he shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. No, not just covered up. Not just pushed onto the back shelf. Not just tucked into your pocket. Erased. Done away with. Gone. Cleansed. And then it says, so that times of refreshing. It is through true repentance, dear people, that first of all, our sins are washed away. But secondly, our spirit is renewed. We experience new life inside. It's refreshing. And once again, we go back to the theme song. Do you want to feel that refreshing? Do you want to know what it means to be cleansed? To have that spirit renewed? You can experience that when you let Christ have His way. When you surrender in true repentance. And so, 
Our sin is removed. Our spirit is renewed. And there in verse 20, our power is reclaimed. And he shall send Jesus Christ. Some versions say, and he shall send Jesus Christ again. Okay? Again, which before was preached unto you. And truly, when you acknowledge your sin and confess it, that relationship that had been severed is now restored. And Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus Christ, once again, fills you to full and overflowing. You see, Jesus Christ is not likely to use someone in his kingdom that is harboring unconfessed sin in their life. And for many people, sadly, for many people today, their Christian life is more of a roller coaster ride than anything. Oh, they have some ups, but they have a lot of downs, and then up and down, and they just can't figure out. And I say, dear people, do you want to be useful in the kingdom of God? Do you want God to be able to work through your life? Do you want to be a channel of blessing for His glory? Yes, I do. Then come before Him in true repentance, acknowledging your sin, confessing your wrongdoing, choosing Him as Lord of your life, and God will do things with your life that you... I'm just so thankful tonight for the mercy and grace of God. The mercy and grace of God. He is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God. And so we must say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When we are open and transparent before God like that, there will be revival in this church. But it starts with me. It starts with you. Let's pray. Father, it's been 